Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius, the official energy drink of PewterReport.com. It is a Thursday edition of the show. Want to say hello to all the people in the comments, the Pewter people that will be uh, watching today. We'll get to some of your comments later on today's show. We got a big one. It's the last one of the week, but it's very important for both teams in this matchup between the Bucks and the Falcons because the NFC South division first place is on the line for Tampa Bay and Atlanta. And we are very happy to have a uh, Falcons writer on with us for the beginning of today's show. I'm your host, Matt Matera. Joined with me is my colleague, Adam Slavon. And joining us today from Falcon Report of Sports Illustrated, it is Daniel Flick. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you doing this afternoon? Man, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm very excited to hop on with you guys and um, hopefully provide some uh, Tampa fans with some some knowledge of the way that Atlanta started the year. Obviously, it's, I'm sure it's been kind of interesting to follow along from afar. That's kind of how I felt watching Tampa from afar. So I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of uh, interesting questions that we'll kind of talk about in the next half hour or so. Yeah, absolutely. We will uh, dive deep into it. You and I actually met at the Combine this year, so... Uh... Just fun getting getting back into that routine. We were talking about the combine yeah. a little bit before that. Uh, before we dive deep into Bucks versus Falcons, why don't you tell everybody a little bit of uh, you know where they can find you on social media and what you do with uh, Falcon Report at Sports Illustrated? Yeah, so I've been able to you know expand my roles a little bit in the last year or so, and I, I've been able to write you know on site in Atlanta training camp and last off season, especially this year. I've kind of transitioned to where it's a little bit more remote for now because of some other writing responsibilities that I've had kind of pop up. Um, you can find all my work uh, at si.com slash NFL slash Falcons, Twitter at by Daniel Flick. That is actually a new Twitter name for me, new Twitter handle in the last month. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, those are kind of my main two platforms. Um, but yeah, for sure. I'm pretty sure si.com slash Falcons will also provide you with all of the written content that you need. I'm putting out content like every, every single day, sometimes two to three times a day, just, you know, I heard your last Sunday was at like eight or nine. So like it's um naturally a lot going on. But um yeah, so again, si.com slash NFL slash Falcons for all of your Atlanta Falcons needs. Awesome. Well, uh Bucks fans, be sure to check that out. Obviously, it's they're in the division. You gotta know your opponent, know your enemy. And uh Adam, good to be talking to you again. It's been a little while yeah, since uh, it's been a while. you've been on the show. Uh Adam, I know you've done some thorough research for today's episode, so uh why don't you start off with the line of questioning for Daniel? All right. So my first question has to do with the Falcons first round pick Bijan Robinson and just the electric rookie uh, out of Texas. So far this season, he split the carries with Tyler Algier in the backfield, uh, 80 to 75. I just want to get your impressions of Bijan Robinson. And is there another level of Bijan Robinson that may be unleashed on Sunday or in the weeks to come? Yeah, you know, early impressions, I think very impressed. Um, I think it'd be a stretch to say that he hasn't met the expectations that a lot of people had. I think he's been every bit of the type of electric playmaker that everybody thought Atlanta was drafting. Um, obviously, I think he was the highest drafted running back since Saquon Barkley in 2018. So, I mean, he's um, obviously arrived with the weight of the world on his shoulders. And uh, so far, he has lived up to that, you know, that hype. Um 
pretty sure through the first two weeks, he alone was at about 40% of Atlanta's total offensive production. Um, in recent weeks, I know Arthur Smith has talked pretty at length about trying to scale back his usage just because um, I'm pretty sure post-game Sunday he actually talked about how he was starting to feel a little sore, um, which you would expect, you know, some of those rookie kind of pains of like, hey, this is for sure a new level form and brand new level of physicality and all of that. So um, that's why you're seeing kind of that usage split with Algier, um, who actually has had a pretty slow start. He, he had about a two or three game stretch in weeks three and four where he was I believe it was his worst two game stretch of his career. I think he had about yeah. 28 yards in two weeks, which um, obviously he broke Atlanta's rookie rushing record last yeah. year and then started out really hot this year. So that was, that kind of put a little bit of a damper on his year, but he kind of found a little bit of something last week. But again, you know, with Bijan, it's, he's so versatile and the way that yeah. Atlanta's used him, they have used him as a receiver, which is part of what they said they were right. in, in April and throughout the whole offseason, it was always, Hey, he can play in the slot. Hey, he can, you know, contribute in a variety of ways. And so far he has, um, he's a guy who has, has been one of Atlanta's most consistent receivers so far. Um, and so I think that's a, the underrated part about him is that he legitimately can break a game open in more ways than, than one or two. Really, he, he can do it all. And I mean, he's actually even been a part of their punt return reps throughout the entire offseason. Even now, he's not the full time guy, but he can do that. And so I, I think that's really a testament to what he can do, um, how versatile and how explosive he is. And, and so far, I think he's off to a tremendous, tremendous start. Yeah, that's uh, kind of what I was going to ask about Bijan is. You know, obviously everyone knows what he can do as a running back, but I almost feel like he should be viewed as just more of a, I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, just like a gadget player. Like his only touchdowns this season have been as a receiver, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So like how, how much of a, of a threat is he as a receiver uh, in this Falcons offense and just, you know, how exciting is it just to watch him? I mean, he had that one-handed catch uh, whenever it was, last yeah. week or two weeks ago. He is just one of those guys. It doesn't matter, like, what team you're a fan of or what team you cover. There's just a pure thrill of watching a player of his caliber. Yeah, man. Arthur Smith said um, after the Houston game where he had that one-handed catch, something along the lines of the special players make the hard plays look routine, and yeah. that's what Bijan does pretty much every single week. Um, you know, he's actually on pace to not only break the Falcons rookie all-purpose yardage record, but shatter it by about 600 yards. Um, you know, two years ago when Cordero Patterson first arrived in Atlanta, he became the first player in franchise history to have 500 rushing and receiving yards in the same year. I think Bijan might break that by like the bye week in mid-November, if not <laughs> yeah. like two or three weeks from now. So um, again, all the while he's on pace to rush for about 1100 yards, I do believe, um, and add another about 600 through the air. So, you know, he is a lot of fun to watch and he's a lot of fun to talk to and he's genuine and he's very, very authentic and very mature. And he's just a, a pleasure to be around even at the combine last year, prior to, you know, Atlanta's really involvement with him throughout the entire pre-draft process. He was such a joy to just you know, meet and, and hear him talk and then seeing him again in, in the offseason, just a, a a delightful guy. And it's really um, a privilege to be able to cover him, a privilege really to, to watch him and interact with him because he is a he's a special individual, a special football player. Um, and the one thing about Bijan I tell a lot of people is for as, as outstanding as he is on the field, I think he's even more special off of it. Um, and so I think as a receiver in particular, to answer the original question, um, he's so natural with just his hands and how, how explosive he is as a route runner, how nuanced he is as a route runner. Um, he played some slot back in high school and really didn't do it a whole lot at Texas, but has kind of been able to um, show that, uh, you know, throughout really the off season, he had a lot of reps in camp in that role. And um, with Cordero Patterson back, I think that's kind of a role you'll see Bijan kind of see more involvement in perhaps even in, as early as this week, because, they've been trying to ramp up Patterson's usage a bit lately after he missed the first four weeks. So um, I think his, his involvement as a receiver should only grow and what he's done already so far has just been so impressive to watch. And when you mentioned like the running back position for the Falcons, that's one strength, but I think another one would have to be the offensive line uh, besides rookie Matthew Bergeron, who's still developing and growing. They have four solid to elite offensive linemen uh, from 
Jake Matthews to Drew Dahlman, Chris Lindstrom, one of the best guards in football, and then uh, even a guy like Caleb McGarry. What would you say uh, about the offensive line in general and just how they contribute to the success of Robinson and Algier and really open the game up? Yeah, also, they're getting a lot. Real quick, we have a question as well from Narab that kind of goes with what Adam was asking. How would you rate the Falcons' offensive line? Yeah, you know, it, it's really it, it's confusing because, as Adam was saying, like they were really good last year. They were really – they took a huge step forward and returned four out of five starters from last year, and there was so much expectations about them being this dominant unit. And then this year, early in the year, pretty sure Desmond Ritter was sacked about the most or second most times in the league through four weeks. At about okay. I want to say it was 16. Um, the last two weeks, he's been sacked three times. So they've, they've taken a big step forward. Um, pass pro on Sunday was, was very good as well, even though Ritter took three sacks. And so, I, I mean, they've, they're getting a lot better. They're finding that cohesion as a unit, um, for a number rating. I think last year they were probably about like an eight, 8.5. Very, very impressive. This year they've taken a little step back, probably about a seven. Um, but again, that's a unit that, you know, Arthur Smith was a college offensive lineman at UNC. He loves the trenches. He loves that part of football. His teams have been built inside out. And last year, running the ball was such a huge identity for Atlanta. This year, they're averaging about 30, 35 fewer yards on the ground than they were last year, um, which has been probably the most frustrating part about the offense this year. Because, um, again, on paper, you, in theory, you bring back four out of five linemen. They upgraded that left guard because they had a revolving door there last year. You bring in Matthew Bergeron, who was a high second-round pick who could have easily snuck into the latter part of round one. You should only be better. You, you, it's like you even bring in Bijan. You, you have Algier coming back. You have Cordero Patterson coming back. You have all these pieces working towards it, and they've taken a pretty big step back. Efficiency-wise, overall production-wise, it's just not what it was. Um, and so I think they've been finding it a little bit more lately. And I think that's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch on Sunday with how well Tampa's front seven has played this year. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's kind of one of those key in-game matchups I'm eager to kind of watch play out. But it's a unit that if it plays well can be a top 10 team in the NFL or a, a top 10 unit in the NFL. So far, it's played like a pretty middle, probably mid-tier to below average unit so far. So um, again, through four weeks, that was kind of one of the areas that a lot of people were, were firing criticisms at, and they, they have found it a bit lately to where they're getting closer to last year's form. They're still not quite there yet, but I think that's a, that's a spot you're kind of banking on them inching closer and closer towards reaching last year's level sooner rather than later. We, we have to talk about Desmond Ritter, obviously yeah. He's the quarterback. It's the most important position in the NFL, but uh, this is a little bit more of a, general question because i think if you mentioned on paper before about uh, the falcons i think on paper whether you're talking about the falcons or the bucks i wouldn't say by any means they're a mirror image of each other but i think there's a lot of similarities just in terms of these are two teams that on paper have a lot of talent you know the bucks mm -hmm. mike evans and chris godwin and you know everyone they have defensively Antoine winfield jr Levante david the list goes on and on you could say that about the Falcons too, especially on offense with Drake London and Bijan and uh, and Pitts at tight end. And then you look at the Falcons games, you watch them the Falcons games, and the defense has been keeping them in a lot of it. You know when they've won or, or or kept it close. It, I just get the feeling, and you would know better than me that Ritter is like the one piece where it's like he's the one that's kind of holding everything else back because they have the talent. The defense has played quite well, and everything's adding up except for one part. Yeah, I would agree, and it, it's tricky because the last two weeks he's thrown for 636 yards, I do believe, and they've scored 37 total points. So it's not really correlated to overall offensive production. Um, they have, you know, it, it's all going to come down to red zone efficiency, and I, I keep coming back to a few years ago. I, I remember watching a game. I think it was the um, – Eagles playoff game with like Josh McCown, a quarterback or something along those lines. And one of the announcers brought up that most quarterbacks in the NFL can lead you from 20 to 20. And it's what happens inside the 20 where you kind of see players separate. Yeah. That's and a good point. yeah. And with Ritter again, they've, so the Falcons have produced over 400 yards of offense in the last two weeks. That's the first time they've consecutively hit 400 yards um, since the tail end of 2018. So they've, they've been moving the ball at a very high level. There's just been a little 
against Houston, they had a few fumbling issues. Against Washington, it was three interceptions, two of them in the fourth quarter, all three in the second half. One of them very, very bad, just floated interception from Ritter um, in the end zone on third and goal after some operational issues. That's a complete other issue from last weekend. But, you know, with Ritter, he's getting more comfortable, and they have so much belief in him inside the building. Um, you know, Smith has talked quite a bit lately about how he's wired the right way and um, the way he's the way he's responded. Because you know, after after week four in Jacksonville, that game in London, that's kind of that's actually Atlanta's only standalone game all year. And so naturally, that's kind of where a lot of people are are watching, and that's kind of where you'll form an opinion off of him. And he was dreadful in that game. Um, very just inept. One of the worst performances I've seen in his 10. Yeah. Yeah. Probably his worst start out of his 10 as a professional, as a professional quarterback. And so um, I think that kind of created a, a sense outside of Atlanta that, okay, he's just not the guy. And again, he has not been, they still don't know. I'd be lying if I told you that I knew, because again, yeah. they, they feel confident of what he can become, but the Falcons are also pretty optimistic that this year's team can make a playoff push. Um, and I don't think they're going to be hesitant if it's week 10, week 11, and he's not, you know, ha- hasn't shown that he can be that guy. They've got Taylor Heineke waiting in the wings here. Who's proven that he can, if nothing else, play at a solid enough level to win you games. And he's um, a buck killer. Yeah. yeah. He's a buck killer. <laughs> yeah. Noted Buccaneers killer. Um, yeah. So he's, um, He's so competitive, man. And again, he's a guy that, as you mentioned, there's so many pieces around Ritter that have played at a very high level so far that if you just get average play out of that quarterback spot, the pieces kind of come together. And Ritter's proven of late that he can push the ball a little bit more downfield. He hasn't hit one of those big 50-plus yard shot plays where it's like, okay, that's what you need to really open it up. They brought in Van Jefferson last week. Um, kind of to fill that role, and they they tried to hit one against Washington. I, I think it hit off his fingertips. It was very close, but again, you got to start hitting some of those shots. And so they still need more out of Ritter. He's he's definitely taken strides in the last two weeks. I think he's trending in the right direction. They have a lot of faith. He's got the locker room fully behind him. Um, but again, the talk only can lead you so far, and he still hasn't won outside of Atlanta. So that's the next step yeah. for him, and um, a big test coming for him this weekend, I think. I just wanted to point out with Ritter, so his PFF grade is 47.5, which is 33rd of 33 quarterbacks, even ahead of Zach Wilson, Matt, who you're a big fan of. (laughs) Um, But talking about Ritter, do you really see him as like the long-term solution for the Falcons? Will they let him ride the rest of the season or would they give it to Taylor Heineke, let's say the next time the Bucs play them in December? and maybe look at the quarterback position in the next draft. Yeah, I think right now um, the betting favorite would probably be that the Falcons are looking for a quarterback in the winter um, or spring, I should say. I think that, again, with where you're at with Ritter, it is still too early to completely commit one way or another. I think Matt Ryan actually was talking about this the other – I think the other day he was saying about how you need probably the next six games really kind of be the final evaluation for Ritter. Um, that's when he'll kind of, again, he's only 10 starts in. So you, yeah. you factor another month and a half, um, Atlanta's bye week I believe is week 11. So there's still about another month, month and a half until then, which I think will be a very important time for him to, um, kind of show what he's got. Cause we're reaching that time of the year where it's put up or shut up. And yeah. all the talk in Atlanta this year is that, Hey, this is not the same Falcons team as years past. Ritter has to show that he can be that guy. Um, and so, so far you've seen glimpses of it. You haven't really the Houston game I'd say was his best four quarter showing. And now it's really the only time that he's put four full quarters together. Um, prior to that, he had a good second half in week two. He had an okay fourth quarter in week one. And I mean, other, other than that, it's been kind of tough sledding again last week against Washington. There was a lot of good and a lot of bad. Uh, you're trying to see him even that out, obviously. Yeah. And I, I think, they're optimistic that he will, but again, he's got to actually do it. And so I think that until he actually proves he can do that, it's really just a, hey, he's got potential, but you're not going to sit around waiting on a third round pick to show you that he's got that kind of upside, um, especially with Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot in year three. This is a big year for them. Um, they're not on the hot seat, but again, you don't want to go into year four still not knowing what you have at quarterback. So yeah, again, I would lean right now to saying that they probably are, there's 
there's not exactly a clear direction that they have there quite yet, but I'd still would, I'd, I'd put the favorite as they'll probably be looking for a guy right now unless Ritter continues to ascend the way that he has the last two weeks. And it's one of the best quarterback classes coming into yeah. this year's draft yeah. that it's been in years. So it's like almost difficult not to at least take a chance on one quarterback when you're not sure about your own. Uh, we got one more question about the offense before we turn our attention to the defense. A couple comments yeah. from uh, Richard Taroka that I think are good. He says, uh, will Drake London be shut down or have a career game? And also uh, wants to know, do you think Kyle Pitts is, isn't being utilized correctly? Also got to give a shout out to John U. Smith because he's a big part of the Falcons offense as well. Yeah. Um, so London's actually coming off his second career 100 yard game. So he's trending up. And Tampa Bay's secondary, it appears from at least where I'm looking at, has kind of struggled a little bit so far this year. Um, I believe it's 26th in passing yards allowed right now. Um, so I'm sure you guys know a little bit more than I do about how they've played. But um, I tend to think that London obviously played pretty well last year in the finale against Tampa Bay, but that's also kind of, you know. Yeah, they took all the starters. Out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can't really get a full picture off of that. Um, but, you know, London – London's such a hard guy to predict because he's he's legitimately played at a good level really the entire year. The numbers haven't been there, and that's not at all his fault. It's really a, a product of Ritter's inconsistencies under center. Um, and so to, to really predict career game versus no-show is to predict Ritter's stat line. And, yeah. again, Ritter still hasn't won away from home. So um, I would lean more towards one of those probably three to four reception for 50-yard games out of London. But again, he's so capable of, of being, I want to say he had 125 yards last weekend, you know, so it's um, he's capable if the passing offense can stay at the level that it's been at. Okay. So if, if, if Ritter hits 300 passing yards, it'll be the first time that Arthur Smith has had a quarterback reach 300 yards in three consecutive games in his entire time calling plays, even in Tennessee. So this is year five for him as a full-time NFL play caller, and he's never had a QB throw for 300-plus yards in three straight games. Um, So if Ritter can keep that going, London naturally improves as well. Um, With Kyle Pitts, there's been a lot of talk that he's still not fully healthy, and I think you're seeing Mm -hmm. that, especially after the catch. He does not look the same as far as his confidence and his knee. Yeah, Um, It's it's weird, man. It's really a weird situation. I think he's getting more comfortable, and his production the last two to three weeks has – taken a very big step forward um and i think that's a byproduct of his health improving and so i'm optimistic about where his role is headed um i think you bring up a good point with johnny smith he has been a, a very pleasant surprise uh, so far this year he was obviously very good in tennessee working with arthur smith and i think that relationship has once again kind of provided atlanta with another weapon on that offense you got London, you got Pitts, you got Robinson, you got Algier. A lot of people kind of forget about Johnny Smith. And so far, um, you know, he was Atlanta's leading receiver through five weeks at about 248 receiving yards on pace to shatter, you know, all of his career numbers. So wow. um, he's he's definitely been a pleasant breakout this year or kind of – I wouldn't even call it a breakout, actually. It's just returning to where he was at with Arthur Smith in 2020. Um, obviously, his time in New England – really did not unfold the way that he nor the Patriots thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that he's played this year, especially you know, he actually caught his first touchdown yesterday or last Sunday for the, I want to say it was the first time about two and a half years. So um, that was, that was big, but um, he's, he's definitely found that prior form and he's been using a variety of ways. He's proven he can, you know, win after the catch. He's proven he can win at the catch point. I, I think he's been a very valuable contributor, especially with so much attention kind of twisting more towards Pitts and London. I think scheme and system is so important. So that yeah. familiarity coming back to to an old coach, I think, is is a big reason why you're seeing that production. Uh, before we start talking about the Falcons' defense against the Bucks' offense, of course, got to remind everybody that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Celsius is the presenting sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast. Make sure you check out their newest flavor, the Cosmic Vibe, which is a sparkling fruit punch. But you can't go wrong with any of the other 
flavors they got out there. The uh, Sparkling Arch is fantastic. The Arctic Vibe is my personal favorite. The vibes are always high on this show. Shout out to the Tropical Vibe as well. Strawberry Lemonade is in my top five as well. So if you need to know where to find a Celsius energy drink, go to the store locator on the Celsius website, punch in your address, and it'll tell you the closest geographical location where you can find one. You could be in Indy, you could be in Atlanta, you could be in New York City, you could be anywhere. Um, and it'll tell you the closest place where you can pick one up at your local Walmart, 7-Eleven, health and fitness store, or your bodega. And once you keep going to your bodega and you know that you love Celsius and you want more, that's when you start getting it in bulk. I'd recommend getting the variety pack because the variety is the spice of life. And you heard me talk about all the great flavors that they have at Celsius. Um, go to Amazon, click on the subscribe and save. You can have it sent to your residence whenever you want, every week, month, quarterly, yearly. It's up to you. Just make sure you're drinking Celsius. Make Celsius your number one pick. Celsius, the official sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast and the Pewter Game Day show, which we will talk about later. All right, Adam, let's uh, talk with Daniel about the defensive side of the ball. I know you got some questions there, so lead us off again. Yeah, so when you look at the offense, you have – a lot of high draft picks invested in recent years, whether that's Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Bijan Robinson. You almost wonder, has the defense been neglected a little on that side of the ball? Where do you see, because it looks very top heavy, because you have Jesse Bates, Grady Jarrett, uh, they signed Clayus Campbell, but otherwise they kind of lack a lot of depth in the trenches and at linebacker. How do you view the defense? Yeah, um, you know, I'd say neglected maybe wouldn't be the word I would use because they committed well over a hundred million in them in free agency um, this spring. So I'm not sure I'd go that far with it. I do think in the draft for sure, it's, they have not placed as high of an emphasis on it. Um, the lack of depth is for sure a problem. They, they actually have already had linebacker Troy Anderson. Um, they've lost him for the year with a uh, pec injury. And so they're already kind of thinning out a linebacker. Um, they have received good play out of his replacement. His name is Nate Lamb, and he's an undrafted free agent out of Colorado from last year, actually, who played, I believe, six games as a rookie, made about one or two tackles, and really was not a valued piece. Had a very good offseason, has really, really blossomed this year. They're, they're very, very high on him. Um, but again, you kind of lose a guy who's six, three and a half, 244 pounds. You ran a four, four, two. You can't really yeah. replace that type of skill set very easily. Um, so, you know, they signed Caden Ellis this offseason from New Orleans, um, and he's been a, a very good leader right right in the heart. And I, I think he's been um, – you can really see that his instincts, his leadership, his athleticism has been very impactful so far. Um, Atlanta's defense has taken a very big step forward this year. I believe it's fourth right now in total yards allowed per game at about mm -hmm. 278. Um, Ryan Nielsen, who they also brought over from New Orleans, he um, – He's been a, a, a breath of fresh air um, calling plays. And, I, you know, everybody talks about how intense he is, um, how energized he is, how competitive he is. You can feel his intensity just talking around with him and, and just he's a um, he's legit. And the Falcons really love playing for him. And you can tell with the way that he's he's wired. His identity is seen in the way that Atlanta plays. Um that secondary has played at a very high level this year. Um, yeah. You mentioned Jesse Bates. Obviously, yeah. you have A.J. Terrell's back. Jeff Okuda, a very underrated offseason trade acquisition, has played. So he was injured the first two, three weeks of the year, has come back and played at a very high level opposite A.J. Terrell. Um, he, has, he has lived up to some of those expectations a lot of people had for him early in his career. Obviously, I think he was number three overall pick in the draft in 2020. Yeah. Um, he has played at a – I'm not going to say that high of low, but he, he has played at a, at a high level relative to a number two corner, you know? So I, I think the way that the secondary as a whole has played has been very, very encouraging. Um, the trenches, the sack numbers have not been there. They, they yeah. were there against Washington, um, but the pressure numbers are. And last year, I'm pretty sure the Falcons are on pace to have about 120 quarterback hits right now. They had 69 all last year. So wow. while the, the sack numbers aren't there, they're getting after quarterbacks. They are affecting the game a little bit up front. Um, credit there would go to Ryan Nielsen as well. Cause again, he's a, he's creative. You guys know New Orleans has some of those creative rush plans and the way that you uh, they've given the Bucks together. fits for years. Yeah. This year is a little bit different, but for the past couple of seasons, they were always a nightmare for the Bucks. Oh yeah. And, and Ryan Nielsen was 
co-defensive coordinator in New Orleans last year. He was their line coach for five years. He knows all about that. He has brought that over. Um, they've brought safeties. They've brought nickels. They've brought linebackers. They've mixed up looks. They've dropped defensive tackles. There's so much going on. There's so much chaos, but it's effective and efficient chaos. And so um, they've found different ways to pressure guys, even with the, the outside line, really not. So, you know, you mentioned on Yamada and you have Grady Jarrett inside. You've got two really good pressure players inside. The outside line has not really been as productive this year. There's not as many bodies there um, that people would consider to be real pass rushing threats. Um, but again, there's definitely progress that's been made. And I think you can see the investment because, again, I would say you were right that they kind of did neglect it the first two years. And then this spring, they really yeah. hammered it away. And you've, you've seen them kind of ascend up to that next step. Uh, by the way, we got a super chat from Vice. Thank you very much for the $10 super chat. If you have another uh, comment that you want to bring along with it, we'll be happy to put it up. I know before you said Ritter sounds like Baker, LOL. Uh, I was thinking that a little bit too, just with how people feel about uh, Baker and Desmond Ritter. But getting back to the defense, you kind of answered it a little bit, but the Falcons defense is just kind of confusing in the sense, you mentioned Jesse Bates, how good he is leads the team in interceptions. And if I'm not mistaken, he's the only player that has an interception on the Falcons defense. And you look at each game and like relatively the defense, you know, hasn't, they, they've either been the reason why the Falcons have won games or, you know, they haven't been absolutely pummeled like, uh, you know, in previous seasons. So with the team that isn't getting many interceptions, you mentioned that they're good at pressure, but they're not getting as many sacks. How is this defense playing so well with, the number is not really to back it up. Bend but don't break has yes. been a very big feeling there. It has been a whole lot of bend but don't break. And um, especially second halves of games, they've been pretty strong this year, especially at home, actually. I want to say they've allowed seven points in the fourth quarter at home all year. Obviously, it's not entirely relevant for this week. But um, they have played four out of their six games at home so far. So that's that'll you know help the numbers a little bit. But um, it's been a lot of bend but don't break. It's been a lot of – Here's a play there, a play there. Um, but again, it's a really competitive group and there's no quit. It's a very mentally strong unit as well. And I think you see them play with a level of cohesion and, and passion that Falcons defenses have lacked for the last several years. Um, so I was talking this off season with Atlanta's nickel cornerback. Um, very good players. His name's D. Alford, and I think Tampa Bay fans will be introduced to him quite a bit on Sunday. He's having a very good year. Um, we were talking about Ryan Nielsen. He's 44 years old. So Dean Pease was Atlanta's defensive coordinator last year. He was 73 years old. Yep. The feeling you get talking around is that Ryan Nielsen's relating a lot more. He's bringing more energy, and you're kind of seeing that reflected. And so I think with the way that they're playing – it's definitely a lot of we're going to figure it out as we go, maybe even mid-drive, um, to where they, you know, you'll allow a few explosive plays. But for the most part, you get into that, like, 35, 40-yard range, and Atlanta's defense has really been able to hunker down, limit field goals. It's, it's, been, a, it's been an efficient – you know, second half against Washington, fourth quarter, you have Ritter throw those two interceptions. Each interception feels like another backbreaker and – they had so many other woes in the fourth quarter operationally and Atlanta's defense just kept responding, kept responding, kept responding. Um, and I think it all comes back to competitiveness, aggression, urgency, passion. It, they really, the talent is there and you're seeing that talent play this year again, top heavy. And so they've had a lot of guys who are playing a very high number of snaps. I, I'm very curious to see how, how that holds up uh, throughout the year, but those guys that they have are playing at such a high level, especially late in games. And so I, I think that's kind of the main thing. And um, again, the way that Atlanta's offense is and how, how run heavy they want to be um, that's also kind of limiting possessions a little bit. And yeah, um, I, I would just say overall that it's a, it's a group that's playing with a lot of confidence in one another. Um, and you're seeing that increased talent level really show up much more frequently this year than, than what maybe it has in years past with, because, again, last year's team wasn't bad defensively as far as talent. It played relatively poorly the first half of the year, especially kind of found a rhythm at the end. And you're seeing that carry over this year with, with much more talent added in. So uh, it, it's been a strong start for them, I would say, even if the numbers aren't all there. Some of them are. And as you said, they have they have kept the Falcons in several – every game this year, actually. 
So when you look at the offense for the Falcons, uh, the run game against the Bucks front seven is going to be one matchup to watch. When you flip flip sides, you look at the Falcons secondary, it sounds like you're very high on Terrell, uh, Jesse Bates, Jeff Akuda, and even D. Alford. It sounds like those chess pieces there match up well with the Bucks and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Is that kind of how you see it? And that being the biggest matchup on Sunday? Yeah, in my prep for this game, that's one of the things that I looked at. And and you see the, the, the splits that Tampa has with Evans and Godwin, I think over 300 yards receiving. And then you got, I think, Kate Auden. Yeah, about 120. Yeah, 108, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So the split that you have there, I'm looking at that and it's kind of like, okay, Terrell and Okuda are going to A, have their hands full and B, play a very big part in the outcome of this game. Um, and the way that Terrell has played this year, you know, a few of the coaches have talked about how he's kind of back at that all pro form he was at in 2021. Um, the turnovers aren't there. The coverage ability, how, how sticky he's been, his overall plays on the football, again, even without the interception numbers, he's been very good playing the football this year. Um, and Okuda, Okuda has a swagger that I think he had at Ohio State that it felt like at times in Detroit wasn't there. Um, and you're kind of even with him missing the first two weeks, he's come back and played at such a confident, comfortable level. Um, and he's really having a breakthrough fourth season right now. Um, I think the change of scenery has done him really well. And so I think with the way that Tampa's run the ball this year, it seems as if Rashad White, I want to say he's averaging like three yards of carry right around there, 3.3. Yeah, just about. Um, yeah, so it feels like Tampa's passing offense is going to probably – you know, have quite a bit of emphasis on it from what I've seen anyways. And so I tend to think that Terrell and Okuda, Alford, those guys are going to be so important. Richie Grant has allowed a few big plays this year, tail end of last year as well at safety. And I think that's kind of a, a an area of concern that I would look for. Because Atlanta has at times allowed a few explosives this year with, you know, safeties having yeah. their eyes and in the wrong spot. It happened against Houston actually two weeks ago. Houston scored a late touchdown that would have been the game winner had an up in for a late two minute drive from Atlanta's offense um, because pretty sure it was Richie Grant again, kind of uh, lost eye discipline. And so you kind of have that keep coming up. And I, I think that that secondary as a whole has played well, you still have concerns though. And, and I think with the way that Evans has played historically against Atlanta has been very strong. Um, I'm sure Falcons fans probably have some, some very bad memories of Mike Evans for that reason. <laughs> And, and I tend to think that they don't let A.J. Terrell shadow every week. And I think part of that is because of, especially this year, you have Okuda playing at such a high level. This might be a week where you see him shadow, though, because I think that is a very, very important matchup. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. Definitely one of the best matchups to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel, you've been very gracious with your time, so we'll get you out of here soon. Um, I just kind of want to expand a, a little bit more. I'm glad there's a couple things you brought up, which, uh, which I'm, I'm glad you brought up. The bend but don't break and the play in the red zone is going to be huge because yeah. Bucks defense is second in the league in in red zone efficiency in, in getting the job done there. So I think that's really important. You mentioned the Bucks running game. That's been a hot-button issue in Tampa Bay, uh, especially this week, where, yeah, it's looked terrible at times, but you also got to factor in that they went up against the top two run-stopping defenses in the league against the Eagles and Detroit. They did much better against the Bears. Granted, it's the Bears. Uh, it is a Bears. And – fared pretty well against the Saints as well. So this is a long way of me asking, and you kind of mentioned the matchup with Evans and, and Terrell and everything. What is, in your opinion, either the X factor of this game or the thing that you're most looking forward to watching? It could be a player matchup. It could be a certain aspect of the game. What, what are you most in tune to uh, check out this Sunday? Yeah, you know, I think the Terrell versus Evans and Godwin matchup would – I mean, really, Okuda and Terrell against Evans and Godman is really probably for me the one thing that I'm very eager to watch. But I, I think it's overall, a, you know, if you think back to last year, the week six matchup between the or week five matchup between the two um, in Tampa last year, the way that game ended with the question. That was a terrible yeah. call, but Bucks yeah. fans make it. <laughs> I will, yeah, I'll, I'll say questionable because I'm not sure how the audience feels about it. But yeah, <laughs> I'd say terrible penalty is probably a good way to summarize that. But um, yeah, it's. um. I think there's, again, as I said earlier, it's it's a put up or shut up time of year, and this is yeah. kind of the start of that turning point where Atlanta's three and three. This is this is where you kind of start to either push forward or you show that you're just you know hovering around 500 for the year. And so, I think the intensity will be up. It's Atlanta's second NFC South game of the year. It's their first since week one. 
Um, I think early on, especially Atlanta started out slow offensively last week, actually last two weeks, and it's been much better. Um, but I think that intensity level early is one factor I'm very excited about. You'll have, you know, obviously the home crowd in Tampa should help Tampa Bay start off hot. Atlanta coming on the road. Can you channel some of that into your own momentum? That's been a very big problem on the road this year for them. Um, so I, I think from a broader perspective, it's how they each start off. Atlanta's resilient. They've proven this year several times that it can really fight back. And But again, you don't want to put yourself in a hole early where you're down yeah. 14 points on the road with a quarterback who's never won on the road before. Um, so I think we'll learn a lot within the first 10 minutes or so of the game this week of like where each team is at. And I, I think that's going to be a should offer pretty valuable insight to where they're at kind of mentally as well at this point of the year. And so I'm excited to see that. Um, excited to watch Tampa's defensive line against Atlanta's offensive line. Yeah. Um, especially Tampa's edge guys against Kayla McGarry. That's probably going to be a pretty favorable matchup for Tampa Bay. The way that McGarry's played this year is not, he was, he was very good last year. He has kind of reverted this year to where he was at the first three years of his career, which um, led to Atlanta not, picking up his fifth year option after those first three years. So he's kind of back at that level now where you're questioning the um, off season contract extension that he had in free agency, which yeah. I want to say 32 and a half million, but um, you know, it, it's been, it, I think there's a lot to look forward to obviously pretty crucial mid season game for the NFC South. And I, I just think the intensity will be up. Um, you'll be able to feel some of that energy and I'm just eager to kind of watch it all play out. All right. So with that said, please give us a prediction for, uh, for this Sunday's game. You know, the Falcons are funny because I have I have random gut feelings sometimes about them. And I this is this feels like a game that you wouldn't expect that they'd win, and then they somehow do. Now, that being said, I've kind of wrestled over this in the last 16 hours or so. And I, I kind of I think I'm gonna stick with Atlanta. That's where my gut was at, and the yeah. audience is not gonna love that from the guy that covers Atlanta coming onto a Tampa show. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Atlanta 23-20. Um, but again, it's so you know it, it is a complete coin flip for me right now. I think at this stage in the week, I would lean Atlanta. I'll be very curious. I, I think Vita Vea's status will be interesting to watch, and I think that's gonna be a very important part of of this matchup. He'd be another guy that I would point out as that's a, a very big thing to watch whether or not he plays and how much he plays if he, if he is in fact active on Sunday. Um, and so I think that'll be, that'll be a big, big part of my prediction for now. I'm going to say, I, I still will lean Atlanta. I think Atlanta ends up pulling it out. I think, I think the Falcons are close to finding something and I think they're trending more and more towards finding that each week. And I think this might be the week they find a little bit more offensive balance um, and so I'll lean Atlanta comes out on top in a very, very close game. Very close. Well, it'll be a very interesting game for sure that both fan bases will be uh, be tuning in very intently for. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Yeah. One last time, just tell everybody where they can find you on social media and check out your work. Sure. Twitter at by Daniel Flick. Uh, articles at si.com slash NFL slash Falcons. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Shout out to all the viewers. Um, hopefully. Hopefully I can hop back on with you guys at the end of the year and, um, you know, revisit some of these takes takes. Mm, sorry. Whether or not they were yeah. any, value, any value to anybody. So appreciate you guys. Yeah. So that'd be you, great. Daniel. Yeah. Appreciate your time, Daniel. All right. Uh, before we keep moving forward with the show, let's hear a message from our friends over at Immuni financial. At Amuni Financial, we help you live in the now. Congratulations, we're so happy Thank you. you. Thank you. And even though the now may feel very different, you still need to plan for the future. How's retirement treating you? Oh, just fantastic. I know I say it all the time, but you really got to come up to Colorado. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. We can help you develop that plan to keep you on track so you can still prepare for tomorrow, today. Amuni Financial. Plan ahead, stay ahead. That's right. Immuni Financial has proudly been serving clients across the country since 1980. They have advisory services, investment banking, annuities, sales and training, and much more. You can open up a uh, college savings account for your child as well if they plan on going to college. And the cool thing about Immuni Financial is that you can be anywhere in the United States. You know, you don't have to just be in Tampa or Colorado. You can be in Chicago. You can be in uh, you know, West Virginia, you could be over in Montana, doesn't matter, uh, anywhere, New Jersey, if you wanted to, 
even though New York's way better. Uh, but regardless, uh, Muni Financial, great place to help you with your finances. Give them a call. Get a free consultation. It's free, so it doesn't hurt to uh, give them a call and check out a Muni Financial. All right, Adam, uh, with a little more focus on the Bucks now, this is the healthiest the Bucks have been in probably since the season started. And yeah. once again, the injury report came out. And it's very few and far between. It's really just Vita Vea. And I think uh, there was one other person listed on there. And then for the Falcons, there was nobody listed on their injury yeah. report. So heading into week seven here, probably both teams are playing at full strength. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds. Yeah, no question about it. Want to get to, uh, yeah, Vice, who had the super chat before, said, all any team has to do to beat us is stop our pass game then we lose there certainly isn't any running going on i understand the anger about the run game and i'm not saying it's good by any means but again yeah i would say right now in terms of efficiency in the run game good versus bad it's two three or three to two in favor of bad at the moment vikings game was bad and we know everything with the eagles and lions game but against the Bears and against the Saints, it was efficient enough for what this offense is really trying to do. So I think this is a really good test for is the run game as bad as we think it is, or do they just play against really, really good run stopping defenses? Adam, what do you think? I agree with that. And I think just based on what uh, Dave Canales had to say today and talking about the offense and the run game, they're expecting a lot more. And right now it's just kind of rounding into that end of season form right now their focus is on winning the division and getting better each week and seeing yeah. how there's so many moving pieces within the offense with all the new offensive linemen the new scheme Rashad White getting more opportunities and more touches there's still a lot to be determined and this week is going to be a big week as you said because the Bears and the Saints they kind of had suspect defensive lines yeah. and then you go to the Lions and Eagles the best of the best and this game will kind of be in the middle. So seeing exactly. how the they're able to respond will be will be critical. And another big storyline has obviously been Mike Evans and the drop that he had and the amount of targets Mike is getting. So uh, fitting that we have this super chat from Lucas Pettis or Patisse, if, if that's how you pronounce the last name. Anyway, thank you, Lucas, for the $1.99 super chat that says, should they target Chris more than Mike? Now, Dave Canales has been on the record. He specifically schemes up plays so the ball gets to Mike Evans and the ball gets to Chris Godwin. And obviously earlier on in the season, Mike has been getting a huge amount of those reps. And I think it's more of just what the defense is dictating. Now, you know, Mike came out this week and said that teams are still double teaming him and, and things of that nature. Do they necessarily need to target Chris more than Mike? I personally don't think so. I mean, again, Mike was wide open on that play where Baker's pass got tipped and it ended up being an interception. You target Mike there, and that's most likely a touchdown. I know Mike has a number of drops this season. I was actually looking it up. He has four, or at least stat-wise, they have him registered with four drops this season. That's tied for second most in the league. At the end of the day, I don't think that's going to be a long-term concern. I think it's just been an overall you know, minor, minor setback for a major comeback. Uh, But what do you, what do you think about this, Adam? So when I see this question, like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, they're both great receivers and they probably should be targeted evenly, but there's two guys within the offense. Daniel mentioned it before. It's a Mike and Chris show, but who's that third guy? There's a case to be made that Kate Otten and Trey Palmer should be targeted more than they have been. Uh, Otten this season only has 108 receiving yards. Trey Palmer, he can get past guys. And you saw that in the Lions game. If he could just, uh, if Mayfield and Palmer can just connect, those are two big plays that could have happened. And he's starting to learn more of the route tree behind the scenes and get like further developed. So seeing those two guys maybe get more opportunities as well. And keeping it the same with the usage of Chris and Mike, I think it would bode well because they're both great receivers, but seeing some of those other guys get involved too, I think is, is key. Yeah. And they're, they're very top heavy, the bucks with Mike and Chris. And so that's a little bit of a concern, but then you also got to remember 
that the other guy stepped up when it mattered most. You know, Mike went out fairly early in that game. I think it was like early in the second quarter, but you know, they played a whole half of football without Mike Evans. And you could argue played better in the second half in that yeah. game when Devin Tompkins had his touchdown. He had a career Trey high Pump in receiving yards. Had career high in receiving yards. Trey made his big play right at the end of the the second quarter when after Antoine Winfield Jr. I think I've mentioned that every single show, Antoine Winfield Jr. forcing the fumble to get the ball back <laughs> against the Saints. Whatever. It was a great play. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would like to see a little bit more involvement from everybody else unless Mike Evans is just going to have a game like he did against the Bears where he gets 170 receiving yards or Chris Godwin in the second half against the New Orleans Saints, but you can't expect that every single week. I do expect right. Mike to, to bounce back, maybe not necessarily – this week, but soon enough, I think we're getting another gigantic Mike Evans game. That's kind of like what he's done the past couple of seasons. So um, we'll see with that. We do have a, another super chat from Vice. Thank you for the $10 super chat. Vice. Yeah. You are our MVP of uh, super chats and comments today. But um, Adam, you did mention Dave Canales before. We have a little bit of video and audio from Canales today and had some really interesting things to say because, you know, the Eagles is one thing, defending NFC champs, all that good stuff. Um, slightly different with the Lions. I know they're they're an up-and-coming team, but, you know, now that there's been a little bit of pattern of struggles, it's interesting to see how he responds to, you know, the quote-unquote negativity of, of this offense, which is still underperforming. And uh, this first video I'll play, he he answers a question from Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, just simply like, where is this offense at? And he took it in a number of different directions from yeah. explaining why they didn't do well in the red zone, why they threw it to Mike Evans on third and one instead of just running it, to giving himself and the offense an overall grade for so far this season. And then also saying that I haven't even shown all of my offense because I want to save it for later in the season so our opponents – can't watch the film and and indicate what play is going to go on. So a whole bag of tricks from Dave Canales. Yeah, all fair things, right? So again, we get to the red zone twice. We got to come up with touchdowns some way, somehow. Um, we had the OPI on the third and one um, with a potential run there, but we just, it's too good to pass up a one-on-one -on -one opportunity to Mike Evans, you know, in that situation. So I loved where Baker went with that. A lot of people can go two ways with it on a third and one. Um, but geez, most of the time they're helping with two, a safety over there and a corner. We got to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, and we didn't on that one. Um, and so, yeah, I think just in general, you know, kind of you guys asked me week to week, kind of grade our offense. And we, I would say we're still, you know, out of 10, we're still in that six and a half to seven in terms of our just fundamental play and execution. Um, and I include myself in that too, just being able to adjust in the run game while they're giving us these different pressures and fronts, you know, what is the best thing to go to in those situations? Um, so that's where I can get better. And of course, all of us across the board just really need to continue to improve. Um, but you know, we have good variety in what we're doing. That puts a strain on our guys. That puts a strain on us as coaches. It puts a strain on our guys. What are we preparing for? We're preparing to win the division. So as you come down the stretch, a, t a defense can't just line up and say, guys, it's this run and that run. That's it. And I think that we're preparing ourselves and building an offense that's not going to allow defenses to just say, hey, just take this away, and they got nothing. So we're really working towards that. And that makes it all very interesting when it comes to betting on this game, especially with that over at 38. I've even seen it go to 37 as well. Wow. Uh, best place to bet. This Bucks game, or really any sporting event, is mybookie.ag. Make sure you use the promo code Pewter. That's P-E-W-T-E-R. Get a first deposit bonus all the way up to $200 and as little as $45 as well. Um, even if you learn from Plant City Math, you know that that is a heck of a deal. It's free money in your account using the promo code Pewter, P-E-W-T-E-R. You could bet on football. Basketball is coming back. Hockey's in full swing now. A ton of different sports. Big UFC fight this weekend. College football, golf, everything. The Olympics are coming up soon enough. Flag football is going to be in the Olympics. So another thing to uh, bet on and get excited about. So mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Pewter. That's P-E-W-T-E-R. Uh, this other video I'm going to play. Uh, Canales shared a story with us all today about 
the offense, and again, no one's happy with what the offense did, including the players and the coaches. Six points, you know, you're not, you're never going to win in, in the league no. with that. But he saw something that he's been really wanting from this offense for a while, and that's taking the offense as their own, taking ownership of it, and held holding people accountable. And this is what Dave Canales had to say. Well, so yesterday, just kind of share a moment for, for all of you because you weren't out of practice, but the, <clears throat> the, the seriousness that the guys came out with yesterday um, together in the huddle at, at a couple times in the practice, I'm watching them talk. They're talking. They're taking ownership of this thing. And like my highest vision for our offense, my highest view of us long-term is a group that can work those things out together in the huddle. And I mean, it was kind of like, gave me chills a couple of times where I really just feel like I'm this guy back there just reading off a paper because Baker's talking to the wideouts and the linemen are talking together and communicating with the tight end. And yesterday was such a fantastic example of that, of what we're looking for is Hainsey and those guys just really taking ownership for this offense. It's theirs. We, we give them a plan that they're excited about. Hopefully we give them plays they love. And then from there, they got to take ownership and really drive it and be out there on Sunday where it's them playing. They're not an extension of me. They're not an extension of their coaches. This is their team. This is their offense and their defense and their special team. And um, and I, I believe we're heading in that direction. Um, and it was really cool to see uh, the last two days, just kind of how serious the guys have been in the huddle and in the locker room as well, just kind of talking with each other. All right, as we close out the show, Adam, without giving away your prediction, because obviously uh, we'll have our predictions tomorrow on pewterreport.com, um, just tell me what you're, what you're eager to see in this game. Again, whether it's matchups or anything in particular that is piquing your interest. Yeah, so you bring up matchups, and we talk all about the matchups on the field. Based on what we heard from Daniel and based on what Dave Canales had to say, I'm really interested in the matchup of Dave Canales against Ryan Nielsen. It yeah. sounds like it's going to be a battle of energy and kind of youth and their different schemes and play calling. And it sounds like they both really connect well with the players. Um, looking at the action on the field, I'm really excited to see how the Bucks stop Bijan Robinson. Uh, talking to Joe Tryon-Shoenka and Levante David today, they really pointed out the duo of Robinson and Algier as being one of the best yeah. and being really talented and skilled on the field. So that's probably the matchup I'm looking at um, from a player perspective as being the most intriguing because if the Bucs can hold Bijan Robinson under 50 rushing yards, it's really hard to envision the Falcons scoring many points. Mm -hmm. And Bijan, the past two games, he hasn't done that. And exactly. The Falcons have been really inconsistent on offense. And Shaq Barrett today, he was kind of holding yeah. back on <laughs> talking about Desmond Ritter. Putting the ball in his hands, the Bucs have a great chance to win. Um, that's kind of where I'm leaning. Uh, the Bucks and the Falcons, from a talent perspective, they're even on a lot of fronts. But they I still think the Bucks have a little bit more skill, and that will show on Sunday. Yeah, I'm looking at that trench matchup again. I think it plays into the running game, which we've all talked about a ton. But, you know, the Bucks' offensive line, which type of offensive line shows up? We know they can protect Baker Mayfield, but will they be able to block for Rashad White? And then, obviously... You know, we'll have to see about Vita Vea, but another game for Kalijah Kansi. Yeah. Um, is this a breakout game for the outside linebackers? Breakout game in terms of not having a huge production since week two against the Bears, but Kalijah Kansi, what type of you know element does he play back on the uh, interior defensive line? And, of course, Devin White and Levante David get live 45, always so important. Uh, but, yeah, that that trench warfare, really, the interior offensive and defensive line for the Bucks, I think uh, it's going to be gigantic for uh, this team. By the way, um, Nathan, you said, Matt, I will be looking for the guys with Peter Report again to get my Peter Report jersey to you before the game. Uh, and then you say you'll be looking for me on Sunday. I am not going to be at the Bucks game this Sunday. Bailey Adams will be there um, if you want to contact Bailey on his uh, on his social media. But that's because, and I will be going to another game relatively soon, the next home game. Um, that's because Adam and I are going to be doing the Pewter Game Day show for Bucks First Falcons. Very excited to uh, do that again. It was a great turnout last week. Looking forward to another great turnout. This week, that will start at 
12 noon with an hour pregame show. And then you don't have to turn that dial. Don't have to go to a different link or anything like that. Cause right on our YouTube channel, we'll have the Peter game day show with their live in-game analysis. When, uh, when the game starts at kickoff, we'll give our reactions to everything that's going on in the game. Hopefully, uh, you know, it's good news for the Bucks. So the Peter Game Day show presented by Celsius starts at 12 noon with an hour pregame show and then the in-game reactions at 1 o'clock when the game gets going. And in the meantime, make sure you're following us on all of our social media at Peter Report on X, Instagram, Facebook, and Threads. We are at Peter Report. And then our YouTube channel where we have a bunch of different clips, the podcast four times a week. Josh Capo just had another uh, – Film breakdown from the Bucks yep. last game. Highly recommend everybody seeing that. I'll have Peter Picks and Props coming out tomorrow on Friday, which, by the way, I went four and three last week and hit both of my picks for the Bucks game and went two and one on my props. So follow us there at uh, Peter Report TV on our YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe. It helps grow our audience of our YouTube channel, but that'll do it for us today. For Adam Slavon, I'm Matt Matera saying thanks, everybody, for watching. And we will see you on Sunday for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out. Out.